Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the Raw Review. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by the Dadly Boys of What Culture, Michael Hamplow and Michael Sidgwick, here to review everything that happened on last night's episode of Monday Night Raw. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on either iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts. We not only review Raw and SmackDown, but also NXT, AEW Dynamite, pay-per-views. We have interviews, roundtable discussions, and a roundup of the week, complete with a bloody good quiz, of course, on wrestle culture, as I said, though, joined by Hamlet and Sidgwick to review a rather eventful episode of Monday Night Raw. What did you think of it, Michael Hamlet? Great, rubbish, like absolutely rubbish, but great. What a great time I had! It's been the longest time since I had a great time watching Monday Night Raw, and I had a great time watching Monday Night Raw. It was eventful, it was chaotic to the point of destructive. But it was loud, and people made noise for all that sort of destructive behaviour. So I can't even. Like, I can't even feel mad about it. I saw characters that I hate <laughs> getting tricked with utter disdain. And I'm not, <laughs> even, I'm not even talking about you-know-who, our very own NXT champion. I'm talking about the guy that put that belt on him in the first place. I'm talking about Vince McMahon and John Laurinaitis again coming together to stick one on Triple H's head, one in his bowels, as they've been doing every week for about six months. I can't get enough, man. Um, thank you, wrestling for ending the pandemic and giving us a raw like this, giving us a Tuesday morning review that for a change, I haven't dreaded sitting down to talk with you two about at all. What a blast. I'm not doing a bit here, right? I am honestly not doing a bit. There were certain moments on this show, like literally so staggeringly incompetent, measured against any criteria you want, that I pissed myself laughing out loud at at least one point for a minute on end to a, a point that, like, my favourite Seinfeld, the rest of the development, Simpsons gags, right up there, the carrying cross. <laughs> so funny, man. Oh, I can't wait. Like, this is class rubbish. It is not only funny in itself. This is the second TV programme they've done. The first Raw there's going to be another rematch from something that happened on the first, on the fourth, on the third TV show later. Oh, the good times are back. The good, bad times are back. 
Yeah, I, I've really, really missed this. Uh, it was a bonkers show. Uh, I tweeted, did 10-year-old me book this show? Because it was absolutely all over the place with events and, and returns. and Three massive returns we will get into. Debuts, as, as we've alluded to. Title matches, left, right, centre. I honestly went into this show for a split second with, like you say, fans returning and all the, the bombast of Monday Night Raw being Monday Night Raw again, thinking... Are we going to have the segment that we can skip for the five-star review review tomorrow? And then I was like, oh, no, we'll be absolutely fine. Uh, so let's dive straight into it. Uh, the show opened, as promised, with the return of John Cena. He came out to a huge reaction, just like he got that money in the bank. Uh, he was talking about the fact immediately that fans were still getting to their seats. He was like, the show started. Please come and sit down. He gave a lovely shout out to a uh, fan who was there celebrating his birthday. He said he missed the fans. He missed being there. He said that the biggest superstar in WWE, he's always said it, uh, is the fans. And they are proving that tonight. He came back at Money in the Bank. He ruined Roman Reigns' championship celebration because of the fans. It was because of them, but it was also because of Reigns. He got a great reaction as well reigns whenever his name was mentioned booing the building out uh with the way the crowd reacted to him uh said he seen said he wanted a universal championship match at SummerSlam in las vegas and he wanted that match not because of the magnitude of SummerSlam or because it'd be title win number 17 it was because roman reigns was an asshole and he needed to be knocked down a peg. He said the pathetic Reigns experience has gone on long enough. Reigns is an arrogant, self-absorbed, overhyped, overprotected gimmick who wasn't as over as he thinks he is. And Cena said, and that's coming from me. He said, if you were good, you tell everyone how good you are. But if you were great, the fans tell you. Cena also confirmed he was going to show up on SmackDown this Friday. And he said, let's get this show started. Out comes Riddle. Bro, bro, bro. Lots of broing between the two of them in the ring. Cena hugs Riddle. He leaves. And Riddle gets on with the six-man tag match we'll get into. But let's start with that Cena opening promo. Sid, it's a favourite of yours. How did this one go, go for you? Shut up, man. Um, look, John Cena's an absolute master at this. I rarely like the content. I wasn't particularly high on the content of this. Honestly, I don't even like the delivery. I'm not a John. Just don't like John <laughs> Cena, right? It's still 2009 in my head, okay? And it's the only place I'll ever want 2009 in my head. What a rubbish year it was. But as it pertains to John Cena, it will always be 2009. He's an absolutely masterful crowd conductor. And there's a crowd now to conduct. Therefore, this opening segment was on some level like objectively tremendous his seamless bond that he has with the audience and his the rhythm of his spiel like he's so capable of just breaking a sentence without breaking his stride whatsoever just milking that reaction a little bit more hang on you're a bit a little bit loud are you a little bit quiet be a bit louder something mm. like that he's better than, than me obviously he's amazing at this like this company has a bad enough job of getting you to buy into titles as a drawing thing. And at some point, genuinely at some point, they should probably start doing this because once Cena goes and once Goldberg goes, if they can sell the title and the idea that the title's this major thing, maybe, just maybe, the title will be established and then the other full-timers can go after it. So saying he's not interested in the title really bothered me. It seemed to completely betray the idea, especially when they're doing it with Charlotte Flair later on in the night. 
betrayed the idea that it actually means anything. Yeah, 17 is a nice number, but I've done it so many times. Like, well, why Charlotte continuing to do it then? At the absolute detriment of the entire women's division. But his delivery was class. If you like John Cena or if you like volume, which I do, even if I don't like John Cena, the Matt Riddle stuff was awful. Um, every single verbal confrontation he's going to have with Roman Reigns is going to be electrifying. On the note of him burying Reigns, it's just John Cena, isn't it? It's just what he does. Did he do enough to... It just pissed me off when he said, I know, if you're great, they'll tell you. Like, mate, you spent your entire career licking ass. I've watched years' worth of promos where he was licking the arse of the audience just to try and get that reaction up a little bit louder. Not that he didn't get a pop to begin with, but, like, he had some nerve saying that, and he had no credibility saying it. Um, I'm not a John Cena guy. Pamphlet. If you're great, the audience will tell you. 50% of them said you sucked at your entire career. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, like, but not to undermine the rest of my point, because I thought this was super effective. Um, the conducting is right. Um, he conducted that noise and that heat and that energy. And it was not as if the content didn't matter, because yes, I think you can absolutely pick at the fact that John Cena kind of undermined his message about the Universal title. A belt he hasn't won, by the way, so I wouldn't have minded a detail where he said, well, I haven't had that one. Like, I haven't been, haven't been like, this head of this table, Roman, you know, like all that sort of nonsense. Wouldn't have minded him teasing that out. But he kind of made the content of his promo irrelevant because the delivery was so fantastic. Um, like, I don't want... Uh, like, in six months' time, we're going to be reviewing a regular doing the latest... 10 minute show and promo and I'm going to be bored as usual but this got by on an like unfathomable and completely unprecedented level of novelty value there'll never be such novelty value to the raw show opening promo not least with a part-timer um they have done a very very good job as well I will say and Cena being a spearhead of this is kind of inspired um they have bought themselves a road to Wrestlemania in the form of a Wrestlemania size SummerSlam mm. and that's pretty smart that's a pretty smart use of the first month month and a half back on television this episode and indeed this segment was a tell that what we're going to watch is effectively a january to march run for wwe in the middle of july and august which is traditionally a pretty tepid time for television so like i couldn't not be kind of moved by all of this even though what he said was nonsense a lot of what john cena says is nonsense his face is still sort of annoying but like yeah, like I'm stuck for the reaction and I'm stuck for things feeling big and this felt pretty massive. The riddle stuff was absolutely risible. I hated it. <laughs> yeah, it was it was a weird sort of transition, which I suppose worked in terms of just shoving two people together in a ring, but that was about the limit of it. But like you say, yeah, it was just so nice to sort of roll back the years. And, and, and like you say, I'm fascinated as well to find out what rating this show will do because they've thrown everything at the wall with this straight away. Um, and then we went straight into yeah, Riddle and the Viking Raiders against uh, John Morrison, uh, AJ Styles and Big George. And well, Hamlet, you talked about this on the Money in the Bank review about the dynamic being kind of weird with Styles and, and Omos and, and the Viking Raiders. And that was sort of personified here. The crowd were sort of into it for the spots, but weren't cer certainly going, I want this team to win and this team to lose. You know, Morrison, he's the most, you know, he's he's WWE's, what is he, moist wanted or something like that. Uh, and that's a gimmick that's clearly getting over with the fans. And 
AJ Styles and Big Jordan. AJ Styles and Big Jordan, the Viking Raiders are just kind of there. Anyway, um, the story of the match was, uh, well, at one point, almost yeeting his tag team partner onto the outside as, as Eric and I've already said, Fort Morrison out there and Riddle was there too. And yeah, almost just went, over you go, AJ. Uh, later on, the finish basically sees uh, Morrison and Ivar in there. Uh, Ivar hits a close line, goes for a moonsault. Morrison moves. Morrison then goes for Starship Paint. Ivar moves. In the midst of all this, Riddle has snatched the drip stick uh, off uh, the Miz. He sprays Omos in the back, who turns around and thinks it's the Miz. The crowd get a big laugh out of it. He chases the Miz. Morrison's trying to save Miz from this attack, from this giant when uh, Omos grabs him, chucks him back in the ring. Morrison gets hit with a Viking experience. One, two, three. Apparently pinning John Morrison qualifies the uh, Viking Raiders for another tag team title match next week. But regardless of that, Hamlet, uh, what do you think of the opening match of Monday Night Raw with fans? Um, it was hot, which was good. Um, I think they, it was probably like the right combination of guys, judging probably a little bit off um, the response that AJ Styles in particular got. Uh, at Money in the Bank and the fact that like this Morrison and Miz act is pretty good in front of an audience what feels beyond saving in the Thunderdome works quite well in front of fans you can see them bouncing off like the audience having a good time with Miz in the wheelchair and the drip six like, it's that fluffy WWE nonsense but like it's the audience who are responding to it and I think in terms of audience responses I'm hoping that the odd and difficult clunky dynamic of Money in the Bank is maybe Result in the, the first fan-related course correction for two characters. I hope that Miz and Morrison, as effective heels, are going to lead to the babyface turn of AJ Styles and Omos because it is, to me, what people seem to want. Yes, there's the inconvenience of a Viking Raiders rematch, which will probably go about as well as the Money in the Bank one did. But you put in that spot again where Omos uses AJ Styles as a flying projectile. Like, that's a, that's a popper. And people, like, all over the country will be grateful, it would seem, to have AJ Styles, somebody they actually receive as a star, back. So get the Viking Raiders out of the way and move into this feud with Miz and Morrison that will babyface the tag team champions. Audiences want to enjoy this big man, little man chemistry with a giant that they're wowed by and a wrestler they deeply respect. So if this is WWE giving them that, then I think it bodes well for this two or three week like novelty run where they're actually going to listen to this audience that they've missed for the last 17 months. I enjoyed this and I liked what I thought of the directions going forward. Yeah, I enjoyed this. The comedy at the end, I don't expect WWE to do serious pro wrestling. So with my expectations measured, I'm either accepting of or completely numb to such a thing especially when the comedy is rubbish, that never helps. But it's WWE. Don't go in there expecting something funny or something conclusive or like something particularly great. I thought this was a rare moment of actual decent booking on the show. Not like the result or anything like that. But in terms of sequencing a show to try and get people to get into it, uh, fun three-on-three, mostly all-action, Broadly pretty good work. I think all the guys involved were up for it and were inventive in terms of the spots. It just amused me greatly. Wilborn, you made a great point just then. The crowd reacted to the spots, but there was no emotional investment over who they wanted to win, or at least there was some confusion about it. And this is like a theme throughout the night. When 
someone does a signature move or something cool, the fans will get into it. WWE, the company that has condescendingly told you for so many years, how we tell stories, brother. We tell stories, not like these other companies. We're the ones who tell stories where you all tell stories. <laughs> it's so funny how the actual rote mechanics of WWE storytelling and how just obligatory they are and how slow they feel and how they're just there. No one cares. Like Not even an audience that hasn't seen anything like this in about a year and a half. They don't care. They're there for the spots. What a wonderful, wonderful schadenfreude, irony, all that is. And that was personified by something that came next as well, Sige, because uh, we saw Jackson Riker, or more specifically, his eyes on the screen. He said he was going to do bad things to Elias Knight. This is weird, this pamphlet, isn't it? Because we randomly mentioned a Symphony of Destruction match on the <laughs> Monday Bank review. Yeah, um, odd. Odd coincidence that came up. Thanks for listening, as always. Um, <laughs> can't imagine the amount of subscribers we've got in both the locker room and the writers' room. Um, yeah, it's we joked about it. We flippantly suggested the stipulation because um, what a, a musical instrument was just one object set of feature. I think in what was it even for? Was it for Drew and yeah. uh, Jinder? Yeah, was just one of several objects to feature in a story ultimately. But instead, it was for here. Um, foolish of us for not booking it for this match. It was almost as if the strap match had settled things. But no, we were wrong. We were the idiots. Um, I don't particularly like these matches. And yet again, like the crowd almost gave this a pass. WWE ruined it. WWE lost their free, their free hit at this by making it about eight minutes longer than it needed to be. I wanted musical instrument spots. I wanted, I wanted, well, I wanted more than anything else with a gimmicked piano and they seem intent to not do that. That thing did not budge. And are they not learning any lessons from this? Like at least the big finishing spot was just through wrestling tables and not onto it. But every time they bumped and those legs did not move an inch, I was like, oh man, that's got to suck so hard. Um, cello stuff, like, the fans chanted for cello and they got cello spots. Mm. Like I, I cannot be too critical of that. I can be critical of how much time these two got. Um, I thought this was like, this really exposed what we already know about Jackson Riker's limitations and what we've known for years about Elias's. So the joke stopped being funny at about the three or four minute mark. And I just wish they'd realized that like, what was it? I was going to say like, something about brevity and wit, but this didn't have any of either. So I just, I, I wish they'd kept this short because I think they might have gotten away with it, but it went too long and it felt like it was taking a piss by the end. I don't think they would have gotten away with it. We don't think any man's anywhere near talented enough to do a match, much less a match like this. Like Elias should be a manager. Like he just should be a manager. This was a match. Now I'm not saying Elias has got nothing of value because it's quite deadpan. It's quite funny. It's quite deadpan with it. everyone likes the little spiels that he does. In the ring, this was intensely generic body guy one versus intensely generic body guy two. Simply taking it in turns to hit each other really hard on mm. objects that WWE are too dumb to gimmick. And because I'm a ghoul, there's a certain enjoyment to be had with that. Unlike Hamlet, who's always get his Bret Hart head on. <laughs> I should, because I know how great Bret Hart is, but I don't, I'm a little bit of a bastard. I'm like, yeah, go on. Just have a ah, love it, man. Just watching these idiots, watching these absolute morons just get absolutely smashed. It's like, for the Instagram, it's for the Instagram, man. Like later on tomorrow, it's going to be looking like Jackson Riker's back. Oh, I like on Instagram. Whoa, thousand likes. It's the next week. Big, it's big. 
waking up on Monday morning like gong. Like, <laughs> just be a thing. It's ridiculous, man. It's like, not real. It's not real. None of this is real. It felt real in terms of how loud and ugh, it was, but I was like, oh, get in, you idiots. Bump into things that no wrestler prior to your generation really bumped into. <laughs> An explosion, at least, is a thrill. Like a, ch- a piano. It's just <laughs> It's goofy. It's dissonant, but it was violent without being like really captivating. But you know what? Like the absolute most primitive part of my brain was like into this to an extent. I like the idea. The most primitive, sorry, the most primitive part of my brain, most animalistic, grunting, watching people get hurt is good. We're still a little bit discerning. Elias walks backstage thinking, oh God, that sucked. But at least, you know, at least I'll get, you know, the most like reaction for all the horrific injuries that I can show on social media on Tuesday morning. Shanky walks past him later going, follow that. Huh? <laughs> All I can think of during this match, in prior to it, by the way, we had the whole uh, "Hello, I'm Elias." Walk with Elias, and then Ryker saying, "Oh, it'll be the last time you have to hear that bollocks." I bet it's not. Um, All I can think of, because, like you say, Sid, the only wrestling move outside of a superplex into some tables, the only wrestling move that I remember that did not involve a weapon was a flying knee from Elias. I think the match went 13 sodding minutes, so that's all you really need to know. My mind wandered off in the midst of yeah hitting each other with guitars or keyboards or chucking someone into a gong or like you say the piano spot was my mind just drifting off into our long-running tv series of the couple who can't stop making money in florida and then finally going (laughs) well that's it love i think it's time for us to just settle down and uh, you know open this nice quaint musical instrument shop but obviously (laughs) texas and then in the car park What's that? What's who's that in there? Vince is stood in the car park with his boom box. You got any instruments for sale? <laughs> <laughs> oh, we've got this. Uh, yeah, we've got this piano. What I've done actually is I've like put like fake wood on it so you can chuck someone and they're like, you know, like the the the, the coffin thing that you had in AW, it'd like shatter like that. No, I want the real, I want the real piano, please. <laughs> <laughs> you got any goo left? <laughs> Uh, yeah, like you said, we've mentioned all the big spots. The the, the cello just battering it off uh, off uh, Riker's back. In the end, though, uh, yeah, Riker superplexes Elias from the turnbuckles onto the table on the outside and, and pins him. And yeah, the match went far, far too long. Pamphlet. I, ju- I just want to add, like, so I don't come across like a hypocrite. I was a massive fan of somebody breaking a million guitars and allegedly never drawing a dime. A massive fan of it. How is this company so thick as to think back bumps on a real piano is a fine, but balsa wood guitars to the head are not? I understand the message it sends, but Jesus Christ, like this is the low, like this is the low pay grade version of Brock Lesnar opening Randy Orton's brains with his elbow, but then wrestlers not being allowed to blade. Like honestly, like Jeff Jarrett never hurt any, like you could bash old ladies with those paper guitars. He wasn't going to slam them on a real double bass. Like, Meanwhile, Jackson Riker's in the back going, Cello, is it me you're booking for? <laughs> oh, Jesus <laughs> Christ. That's how the oh. stadium, that one, lads. That is absolutely... Fantastic work by Lionel Bitchy. <laughs> All right, cheers to us. Uh, let's move on and talk about, <laughs> not into the NXT stuff. Uh, let's talk about uh, Mansoor. He's backstage with Postman Pierce and Sonya Deville, and he's revealed that without the knowledge of Mustafa Ali, he's made them into a tag team. Uh, 
look, Mansoor said, I want to learn. If I, I want to learn from you, let's do it together as a team. Uh, Ollie wasn't best pleased about it, but he agreed to do it for one night. And then Seamus was there. He was angry about having to face Humberto Carrillo again. Uh, but they said Carrillo deserved a fair shot. And Seamus basically went, yeah, fair shot to his sodden face. I'll smash his head in, basically. Uh, anything you want to say about these two backstage segments, Michael Sidgwick? No, not really. <laughs> Good. Have look. Thunderdome stuff, wasn't it? You were watching it, you were like, oh, Christ, this is of another era. This fans back, raise your standards a little bit. Christ. Uh, it was followed by the championship celebration of Charlotte Flair, who, of course, run the, won the Raw Women's Championship, easy for me to say, at Money in the Bank on Sunday. Uh, she said it felt good to be stood there as women's champion. She said Rhea tried to take a page out of her book, but she was the one who created the goddamn book. Uh, massive crowd chance for Becky Lynch, just like we got on Sunday night. And Charlotte said, yeah, Becky Lynch is at home breastfeeding. And Lynch subsequently responded on Twitter saying, yeah, I'm still at home breastfeeding and still the most over person on Monday Night Raw in the women's division. Yep. Uh, Charlotte talked about being the only 11-time women's champion history. That is one-time Divas champion, five-time Raw champion, five-time SmackDown champion. Bollocks to that NXT championship run, I suppose. Uh, she said she could beat Ripley any day of the week. Outcomes Ripley challenges her to a rematch. Charlotte takes the piss, talks about Ripley bitching and moaning because she had a hurting knee and declined this challenge. But then... Out comes Postman Pierce and Sonya Deville. Deville congratulates Charlotte on winning the title, but she did just say she can beat Ripley any day of the week. Say it with me, Michael Hamflet. It's official. We got the Raw Championship <laughs> match booked for the main event. Yeah. Um, I think my generosity from Sunday's impossibly brilliant match between these two extended to this promo because I knew what I was watching was total garbage. And yet the mere fact that all it took was four months and about 12 matches for them to determine who was the heel and the baby face. That was all it took was this. Um, the lines were finally drawn between the two. Um, Who's the heel? Charlotte Flair. Like, Rhea Ripley got cheered. Charlotte Flair kicked a leg out of Rhea Ripley's leg later. Kicked a leg out of a leg at the end of the segment. Like, oh, don't get me wrong. Like, Rhea Ripley's a total wet wipe. But, like, that's the baby face in comparison to Charlotte being mean and, like, mom shaming Becky Lynch. Um... I, I I knew, right, I knew when they were setting this up that this was the end of Charlotte Flair and Rhea Ripley. I knew that this match was... I didn't predict what was going to happen at the end. Like, I think probably like many, I maybe thought that this was leading to somebody else making mm. a return. But I just had it in my gut feeling. I've watched enough wrestling. They're actually wrapping this up tonight. And I think I was so blinded by that and just how they managed to get that thing over on Sunday that... I gave this a pass. I was just glad to see the finish line in sight. Content was rubbish. It's always been rubbish. These two have the opposite of chemistry when they're speaking to one another. Um, and I never want to see them feud ever, ever again. Before some sad, pathetic wanker with no life pulls me up on this, the reason why they did Young Bucks versus Pentagon and Eddie Kingston um, literally one week later, which is in itself significantly better than 24 hours later, in the first show back with fans that wasn't in the residency. It's because they couldn't do the coffin match that was previously scheduled for Fighter Fest, uh, for Road Rage, sorry, um, because of the horrific thing that happened in Miami, of course. So don't mention that, don't be a dick. Literally the first Raw, the second SmackDown has a rematch from the first SmackDown back in front of fans, and the first Raw 
has a rematch from the first pay-per-view back in fans, back in front of fans. Thus far, there have been three shows back in front of fans. It's just class. <laughs> How incompetent and rubbish this company is. Like, what was your main event for the first night back in, fan, in front of fans, by the way? What was it going to be, Willborn, ahead of the show, if it wasn't that? Uh, it would have been... Oh, they'd have run short because it was going to be carrying Cross versus Jeff Hardy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. Well, it's just We're, as well. So are, what, are we sort of all agreed that all those fans that went to this show, like like the marks that they are, probably should have just stayed outside and touched some grace instead, of, uh, grace. <laughs> instead of buying a ticket? <laughs> Touch grace. Touch grace. Touch grace, asshole. <laughs> hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's, a, it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Well, let's continue our review of Monday Night Raw because that was followed by Shayna Baszler and Nia Jax versus Natalia and Tamina. Yeah, not doing this again. Not doing this again, ever. I very nearly just said, I know I said it earlier with the whole it's a visual life, but I nearly said, you do say it with me because I knew what was coming. Yes, it was a, a win for the tag champs. Uh, of course, guess who? Uh, Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler ate the pinball. You're, you're correct, it's Shayna Baszler again. Uh, how many times have you been, been on Raw? Oh, all of them, basically. Uh, she got super kicked by Tamina. Reginald jumped up on the apron for no apparent reason. I'll just recap what happened post-match before we get to uh, the five-star review review because Baszler has finally, finally snapped. That's it. That is six months of this Somalia knocking about with him or whatever it is. It's probably about two months, but it's felt like six. Uh, she said, look, we were unstoppable until this git showed up. Uh, Nia Jax hugs Reginald and then headbutts him. Um, they leave. Everyone's like, yeah, that Reginald guy sucks. Out comes Akira Tassar with the 24-7 championship goofs. Runs into the ring. Reginald does some flippy bollocks, pins Akira Tazawa and uh, flips his way over everyone else, poor bloody Drew Gulak, if you deserve so much better, flips past all them, runs to runs to the back, and everyone decides, oh, no, actually, 
Reggie's good. So, uh, uh, yeah, that was the thing. Anyway, <laughs> enough of all that. It's now time for this. It's short. It's crap. It's wrestling related. The five star review review. Nailed it. Skip it next time, Wilborn. I don't want to hear an actual word. If we say skip, people who've got the internet, they can just go online and <laughs> work out what happened. Give us the noise. Fans are back. Give us the noise, please. Skip it next oh. time. <laughs> ah. Yes. <laughs> got to give the people what they want. Uh, <laughs> this week's five-star review reviews brought to you by Hearty3169. Nice. Uh, if you want to... <laughs> <laughs> you want to suggest something short crap and wrestling related for us to review instead of a god awful rule segment uh subscribe to what culture wrestling give us a five-star review just like hearty 3169 who writes uh, after hearing hamlet say it was needless this was a while back please review the whole 14 minutes of cena destroying roman reigns in a promo personally angle's face is the best bit for me it felt appropriate to do that this week though hamlet give us a quick backstory to what was it no mercy 2017 Aye, it was No Mercy 2017. WWE went ballistic for like four months at the tail end of 2017. And it was so brilliant. Um, No Mercy had this and it had the first meeting of Braun Strowman and Brock Lesnar, which sounds like rubbish now, but it was a huge deal then. Braun was as over as he was ever going to be and this match pretty much killed it. But on the same pay-per-view, they had two WrestleMania-worthy main events uh, just to fill some time in, in in October. This was right around the time that Kurt Angle joined the Shield. This was right around the time that Braun Strowman was put in a bin lorry by about six heels. This was right around the time Triple H set up eight main events in one Survivor Series match. Uh, Sister Abigail got the mumps. It was just a, a wild time. Uh, and they decided to go ahead with... Also the uh, the show in which Enzo Mori became Cruiserweight Champion, No Mercy 2017. <laughs> and so, yeah, no, so like in terms of, if we're talking like big or small events, this was a schmedium on this role. But like <laughs> it was, it was Wild West for some reason, for a little while on WWE's main roster to this end in a traditional down period for the year we get John Cena and Roman Reigns sparring in the middle of the ring for 15 minutes. And that's this. Absolutely bonkers. Like I remember I had WrestleMania in October. It's kind of thing that Michael Cole says, and it's usually a load of bollocks, but it's like, last you know, he's still doing WrestleMania in October. You can add <laughs> matches. Odd. Welcoming, but odd. Um, I hated this, but let's go well more. Yeah. I'm not going to read this whole. No, please don't verbatim for 14 minutes but basically yeah Cena's out there he's stood with Kurt Angle there's a contract on the table to sign for no mercy between Cena and Reigns he shields the match he says it's Wrestlemania worthy it's a no mercy um he says Roman's not only the blue chip prospect but he is the guy who's the blue chip chip prospect who's protected against anyone and then there's me I'm the one dude ain't no protection from Roman don't want to fight me Cena says Roman music hits he gets a let's say mixed reaction uh, from the WWE universe, uh, Rome comes down, cuts a promo uh, to a chorus of boos saying Cena is not as big of a deal as he thinks he is. He's done something Cena will never do. <laughs> this didn't age well. Retire the Undertaker at Mania. <laughs> How long after this was he tagging with him? It can't been that long. Um, uh, he said, it's not that I don't want to fight you, John. It's just that I don't need to. Uh, Cena then decides... 
okay, I'm going to murder this fool. Uh, he talks about being a polarizing figure in the eyes of the WWE universe, cheers and boos and heel turns and all that. But with Roman, it is different. People see a cheap-ass, corporately created John Cena bootleg. This was one of many times I glanced at Kurt Angle's face, just thinking, that's my boy. Um he says, you're, you, 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 you're not the guy, you're a guy trying desperately to fill shoes you never will. John Cena says he's not the Undertaker, a battled, bad old, old veteran at the end of his career with a bad hip. He's better than he's ever been and summarizes it by basically saying, when you face me, the Roman Empire is done. Roman gets on the mic, says Cena can spin just about anything. Uh, and they boo you, John, because you suck. Gets a great reaction, this. Uh, Cena responds quickly, just jumps in and says, it's First of all, you suck. It was a good line. Yeah. Uh, Cena says, well, they told this guy that he sucks and he's got an Olympic gold medal. So I'm, I'm in good company, basically. Nice little arm round Kurt Angle there. And I'm not sure if it's that or, you know, just the whole thing, because he tells Cena to shut up and then proceeds to completely blank. This is every person's worst nightmare he tries to sort of shrug it off and smile and cena recognizes what he's seeing and leaps all over this he's like a dog eating hot chips he says look i can wait i don't mind you know it's it's, it's a promo son you know uh you, you're gonna do well in this company you might need to remember how to do them see your fourth wall anyway roman recovers oh, that's awful in hell what a prick god i hated that see your fourth wall <laughs> see your fourth wall <laughs> Freaking Eddie from Friends, trip house. Uh, he says, People boo you, John, because they see right through you. You are a phony yes man. In summary, big bitch. Uh, not only that, but he's a part time fake ass bitch. Whole spiel about working every single night while Cena's hanging out on the Today Show and occasionally deciding if they pay him enough to pop back with his big-ass shuffle, sorry, shovel, uh, and very young talent. Roman says, you're a backstabbing shark, but you can't bury me, John. I'm the one guy in WWE that Cena can't see. Why would Roman lessen himself to be the next John Cena when he can be the one and only Roman Reigns? John Cena decides that he woke up that day and chose violence because... Oh, daddy. He says Roman Reigns is a damn fool. He's using the same excuses as everyone else that has come before him. He says, I've written this one down verbatim. It took you five years to cut a halfway decent promo, but now I'm going to shrink you down to size. He talks about his mythical golden shovel and the fans holding all the keys in reality. He says, look, I main evented WrestleMania in five years. I was the opening match on SummerSlam, and I'm proud that I got to use the US title to introduce all these new superstars to the WWE audience, the, the Kevin Owens, the AJ Styles of this world. Uh, and you took the US title as a demotion. Never mind all this, like, you know, it's a promo kid. You got to learn how to cut them. Or, you know, it took you a while. It took you five years to cut a halfway decent promo. Or what I'm about to quote. The highlight for me of this entire thing is him saying, Roman, you took the US title as a demotion. And then one guy on the front row goes, a demotion! Like he's some sort of senior <laughs> hype man. 
Uh, and then I, I he concluded it by saying this. I wrote this verbatim down. I'm still here, Roman, because you can't do your job. When it comes to this yard, you probably haven't learned it yet, but there's only one rule, step up or step aside. And over the years, there's been a few to step up, but nobody to ever keep up. And then I finally hear about this one guy, the guy, the Roman Reigns, the one that can keep up. And now I look at you and I listen to you. You should be ashamed I'm a part-timer because I can do this part-time better than you can ever do it full-time. Oh, got him! And then Roman signs the contract. And uh, yeah, interesting back and forth, this, Sige. So odd. Just two people accusing each other of being at once unpopular and artificially crafted in their personas. Great. Can't wait to see them fight. (laughs) It was... Paul Heyman's absolutely like tearing his cock off when these words are being uttered, by the way. It's the most painfully Paul Heyman thing I think I've ever witnessed. I understand that it was really well done in its own specific context. Like, you'll never convince me that Roman Reigns froze, like ever. I think he was working. Genuinely, I think he was working. Um, They wanted to get the idea that this is real and these two people hate each other and the whole shut up, John, shut up, John was the sort of wrinkle at which WWE is rarely capable, but sometimes are. Just like, who's the better man? I don't want to know who's better equipped to do scripted sports entertainment very well. That was what this feud was premised on, and I'd just prefer to see who's the better man. Mm. Ultimately, stripped away from every way you want to articulate and express that. Like, who is the better professional wrestler? Uh, Not who's the better person at playing the role of a professional wrestler, which is what this was on a meta slant. And basically, Paul Heyman's like just shot past his own shoulder. He came that hard watching this. You know how like it was actually a little bit smug. Like the 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 original quote unquote pipe bomb was amazing, but like it was a little bit smug when CM Punk was going pipe bomb like that and like (laughs) (laughs) like that was the appeal of this. Is that like? Each one of them, one at a time, would go, bam, bam, and then the fans would go, ooh, or whatever. But, like, none of it stands up to any scrutiny, none of it. Like, I was listening back to your recap of it there, Will Bond. I've watched it a few times since it aired for, like, other, like, work purposes. And the line that stuck out in your recap is one that I've never even thought about before. It's when Cena talks about the, like, I was proud to come back and open SummerSlam. What did you do? You pissed around in a cowboy hat and buried Baron Corbin because you just told Vince... He hasn't got it. And they took the briefcase off him. That was the single most destructive three-week period of Baron Corbin's career. But I was proud to come back and do it. I ain't just on a Today Show, punk. Like, <laughs> like none of it none of it stands up when you break it down bit by bit. And it's like, Cedric says what they do have, like, legitimately is the two biggest stars. And instead of them, like, trying to score points and talk about, basically, they're competing and say who's the more protected by Vince McMahon. Yeah, yes. Like, it's a, it's a ludicrous premise with which to form a feud between your legitimate two biggest stars um, for the sake of those moments, for the sake of those oohs and ahs and gasps. Um, not a single line, I think, holds up to repeat viewing. Um, no. is Which does sort of foreshadow WWE's descent into content spew, into churn, because they're not looking for you to watch it over and over again. They're looking for it to exist in the moment and then fuck off forever. Yeah, looking at the comments and people saying things, oh, this is such, I always come back and watch this promo. I love this. And, I, and obviously it's filled at the moment with, I think it's like 13 million views right now. It's filled with people saying, oh, I'm back to watch this ahead of, you know, Cena and Roman going tete-a-tete on the road to, to SummerSlam and stuff. Yeah, it's, it, I, 
I very much was like, I've never really gone back and watched this outside of, like you say, work purposes, Hamlet. And I watched it again and I was like, do you know what it reminded me of? Of Bischoff's like, what's wrong, Sid? Forget your scissors. And everyone's like, ooh. And I'm like, mm. like, just, <laughs> me, if I'm perfectly honest. Uh, the comments do, though. Let's move on to them. Once again, these do not reflect the views of myself the Daddy Boys, or anyone at What Culture Wrestling. Uh, Half Hunger writes, the crowd bought tickets to a funeral and they even know it, which was, <laughs> I mean, it was a, a, a one-sided battering and all this. I also love- It was also an episode of Raw in 2017. Yeah. I also like, you know when people just write stuff in the comments, you're like, you're really, I, I, I mean, I'm, you know, a lot of it I was sort of skipping past of people saying, oh, this is a great promo or whatever. But let's focus on what we're here for. MN Mark writes, anyone else see F9? Cena was quite decent in his Fast and Furious debut. Not what we're here for, but thanks for Mark. <laughs> anyway, uh, this was funny. This did tickle me from uh, Miguel Mendoza. John Cena quotes, I'm not the Undertaker. I'm not a battered veteran with a bad hip. Also, John Cena gets beaten in under five minutes by that same battered veteran. Yeah, I, I noticed that one as well. <laughs> uh, needless anger in the comments here from... <laughs> 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 I, I honestly thought I, I thought that was a username, Wilbon. Like when you said it, Needless Angus checked in with the... No, the username is what got me. Needless Anger here in the comments from Lil Whopper, who writes His hair looks so much better than mine, it pisses me off. And then on top of that, he's a tall, muscular man and he's hot as hell. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, I, I sent a thing that I won't be reading out to, to everyone. You can go and check out the comments to this and try and find it for yourself uh, regarding the dissent in the comments from, ooh, I can't wait for these two at SummerSlam, blah, 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 promo up to just people arguing about who's hotter. Uh, Bianca Coleman uh, writes, Cena is hot, but he is kind of a hot mess when it comes to dancing. He's a lot of awkwardness on that dance floor, much like Christian Cage, who is cute too, and that's putting it mildly. Sorry, what's going on here? What are, we, what are we talking about? Speaking of either Roman Reigns or John Cena being hot, did you see the Roman thing from Money in the Bank? The mother who risked it all? Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, God, that was honestly, it's the coolest the WWF wrestler's been since Kevin Nash. <laughs> the uh, the reason Cena's so rubbish on the dance floor, by the way, is because of his big-ass shuffle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that woman was absolutely besotted with Roman. Just in, and she got caught. Great. <laughs> I presume it's her son next to her. He's just like, oh. <laughs> he might even be a new daddy. What was it? We're gonna. I was going to obviously call back to this because you alluded to it again on your tweet. What did your dad say when he saw Jacqueline at that live show you went to? Uh, I know Jacqueline. <laughs> dad, dad, I'm twelve. <laughs> your, so, what? Your your mom is the only Sidgwick that hasn't fancied a wrestler. Well, well, I'll go through the list. My dad likes Jacqueline, who is Wilborn infamously now refers to Jacqueline. So, dad's a Jacqueline guy. My sister is very much Billy Gunn. My mum... I'll tell you what, make it fun, let's guess. Hamford, guess who uh, my mum's favourite is. My mother-in-law's got one as well. Attitude area. Uh, yes. Valvinus, my mother. Valvinus, Valvinus, Valvinus. It's all about the bellend. You bastard! No. <laughs> I don't know. I automatically went Kevin Nash. So I always go Kevin Nash for these sorts of things. Edge. 
Oh, Edge. My mother-in-law's Randy Orton. Sorry, your <laughs> mother-in-law likes Randy Orton. <laughs> <laughs> Just imagining your mum going like, I'm going to sit up and watch Smackdown with you tonight, son. Give it to me! Give it to that massive Edge pot, the loudest ones in Gateshead. <laughs> and my missus, my wife, um, she's never... Like she doesn't obviously she married me, so she's not funnily enough any a six foot odd tall muscly guy type. <laughs> funnily enough, um, so whenever I'll say, "Oh come on, man, look at Kenny Omega," would you not? And she's <laughs> like, "I don't fancy him. I don't fancy him. I don't fancy him." And um, we watched Bourdain with Britt Baker and Cole. Mm-hmm. I was like, "Come on, mm-hmm. come on!" And she's like, "Yeah, yeah, he's the fittest one you've ever shown us." Yeah, so my wife, my wife, my family wrestling crushes. My wife wouldn't so much risk it all for Adam Cole as bin me off to my face for Adam Cole. I think she pretty, <laughs> I think she pretty much tried at takeover Brooklyn to be honest. Uh, right, final comment here. We continue this sort of theme. Uh, not paying any attention, Maggie Lusk. Uh, not paying any attention to what's going on in this fourteen-minute promo off. Uh, right. Right. As if he wasn't hot enough. He makes my boiler burn. Naughty Roman needs a little hanky spanky. Okay, if you insist, I'll volunteer. <laughs> <laughs> okay, if you insist, you haven't said anything. But no, you didn't say anything. You insisted. I physically couldn't look at you as you did the rest of that bit. Well, <laughs> hanky spanky was like, I can't take this. Thank you, Spanky. Oh God, I'm devastated. I've just, I've, it's just occurred to me that I've blasted wide from an open net. Sidgwick says, "Oh, what wrestler do you think my mom fancies the most?" I should have just fired straight in my Walter, shouldn't I? <laughs> he did. Don't get many Don't of them. <laughs> Don't get many of them. You only get a bucket. That's all I got. <laughs> Thanks once again to uh, Hearty Thirty One Sixty Nine for this week's five star <laughs> review review. Uh, if you want to see something short, crap, and wrestling related for us to review instead of a god awful raw segment, subscribe to What Culture Wrestling and leave us a five star review on there. Where were we? Oh, yeah. Uh, Reginald's just won the 24 7 championship. And then we got a uh, little graphic announcing Carrion Cross debuts tonight. And I think I saw a little bit in the bottom corner that wrote, What could possibly go wrong? But we'll, we'll see later on in the show because then we got a uh, 10 minute US champion no it wasn't a US championship match was it it was just a non-title match with Sheamus beating Umberto Carrillo again uh, Carrillo fought back when Sheamus was doing that I don't know Chelsea smile or whatever it is he's calling it the pulling the cheeks thing well yeah Carrillo just bit his fingers because yeah his hands are in his mouth um, he hits a, a whole series of moves uh, Rana, suicide dive missile drop it gets a near fall on Sheamus but uh, punches Sheamus later on and the steel mask hurt his hand, and that allows Sheamus to headbutt him with that steel face max. Bro kick, one, two, three. Sid, you are shaking with laughter around this. So his little hand punching his hand. We're good at getting people over on the shore. It's absolutely mint. It's, it's just, bro, like one of those, what can I say about this match? Like, the crowd briefly woke up for like some. Athletic flourish. Didn't really care about Umberto Carrillo. They've got no reason to care about Umberto Carrillo. And, like, he's done. Yeah. He's done, isn't he, now? He's absolutely done. If he wasn't done before, he's done now. 
I'll say that two more times throughout the rest of this podcast. <laughs> they went to the trouble, like to pains. Seamus said it in the backstage bit with Sonia Deville and Adam Pearce about this thing being made of steel. And you're watching it and you're like, all right, I get this. Like, um, even if I was thick as picture, I'd get it. But this is steel and it's going to hurt somebody. He's a heel, so he's going to cheat. He's going to headbutt with him. Put Humberto Carrillo went and touched mask. And uh, <laughs> he, he just did it to himself. It wasn't like a heel cheating. Like he didn't come off the top rope with a flying head, but when you know this thing is made of steel, he did it himself. Like, uh, like I don't blame Humberto Carrillo for not watching this goddamn show, but at least study your opponent. <laughs> thing is, it's like it's just it's super brain. This is garbage. Goat garbage adjacent super brain <laughs> stuff. Get someone over. All best option. Get both people over. Don't get neither person over. Seamus is lucky. Carrillo is an idiot. In the correct application of this trope, Seamus is the arsehole you hate. Carrillo is the guy who just got unfairly beaten and is therefore sympathetic in theory. What an absolute... It's hard enough to do like basic things and get them over because you have to like sell it. You have to be... Like a convincing threat or enough of an arsehole. It's, not, it's people say our wrestling's easy. It actually isn't, but it should be easier than this. <laughs> uh, we got a promo from Bobby Lashley and MVP next. Lashley came down and said he did all this talking last night when he destroyed Kofi Kingston. He's done talking. He hands the mic to MVP, who says that the fans should be happy. They should be appreciative. They are lucky to be in the presence of someone like the Almighty Bobby Lashley. He said. I know you're, you're, you're booing him and you're doing the what bollocks. He didn't acknowledge that, but they did it a few times. Champ. Um, he said the Dallas fans resented the champ because they were Cowboys fans and they haven't had a winner in decades. Local sports team insult here. Uh, he said Kofi Kingston was actually right in his words, uh, but unfortunately that lit a fire under the champion. Vashley may have been vulnerable a few weeks ago, well, that window of opportunity is now closed. No one will be able to take his championship now. No more women, no more champagne, no more fun and games to distract him. Basically, as Lashley said, no more bullsh. Tonight, we'll witness the most dominant champion in history. And Lashley grabs the mic and says, all right, let's get on with this. Who accepts the open challenge? And Keith Lee returns uh, we found out that during the break, uh, it was revealed that there was fans chanting welcome back. Keith Lee returns in his home state, Michael Sidgwick. I'll talk about what happened in the match and then you can review the, the whole thing. Uh, Lee did get some decent offense in. He uh, drove uh, uh, Lashley into the corner. He hit him with a running crossbar. He went for a, a spirit bomb, but Lashley countered that into a flatliner. Uh, Lee, again, later on, takes control, uh, shoves Lashley into the post, but MVP distracts him. That allows Lashley to knock him down with a running spear. Lashley goes for the hurt lock, but Lee is just too big for it all. He breaks out of it, but then Lee gets caught by a Lashley spine buster and a spear. One, two, three. What did you make, uh, Sidge, of the promo, the return of Keith Lee, and the result of this match? I can sort of understand why they did it with, with what immediately followed it, but not great for Keith Lee considering it's his first match in what just under six months first of all it was genuinely great to see Keith Lee back yeah. it really was um he's earned the opportunity 
and there were some pretty scary rumours that followed him. Because WWE didn't disclose the nature of his absence, like ultimately, who knows at this point? It might never come out. They might just not fancy him for a while, or there might have been some kind of the, like the dark Twitter squared circle issues. Who the hell knows? Regardless, he's back. The fact that he's back, if no else, they will put them through non-gimmick pianos, but they will also put them through the ring in terms of like medical protocol, so you can enjoy that he's back. He can be secure and reassured in the fact that he's back, and he's gone. <laughs> Did they not do? I was so full of praise for the specific way they got Bobby Lashley ready for the Goldberg match. Hmm. I said on the preview yesterday, they've realized Kofi Kingston's probably the best possible guy they've got to be able to do that job because he can't take it one step further. We saw that in 2019. If you can get everyone behind you, be a great baby face, and he had the best six weeks of his career since 2019 and second best six weeks ever, blah, 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 blah. We're going to get mutilated by Lashley. I thought, if you're going to do Bobby Lashley versus Goldberg, and I don't really want to see it, that's still the best possible way to do it, with the best possible um, baby face to do it at the expense of. Like, and then you've done this. What a waste of time. What a cruel waste of time that just inspires total despair in the home state audience, total despair in Keith Lee's fans, total despair in the process if you're not specifically a fan of Keith Lee. What you've done in, what, eight minutes? How long did this match go, Will Warren? Six minutes, probably less than that, actually. Yeah. What you've done in just a staggeringly short amount of time is you've told your audience, this person we do not care about. You will not take him seriously. You probably had an inkling that you shouldn't about eight months ago. Now it's certain. Like, the guy has got a following or had a following. Don't do this. <laughs> like, just don't. I can't say out about the match. Who cares about the content of the match at this rate? The only thing I can say is I love and I've missed seeing that leapfrog drop down. Mm. Him being able to do that. Remains unbelievable. The the prospect of Keith Lee, professional wrestler, remains unbelievable. Yet I've got a fairly robust idea at this point that I'm going to well believe it um, for the rest of his WWE career. Yeah, this was... I've not really got a lot to add to any of that, really. This was, and not for the only time on this show, uh, WWE effectively telling you that you were wrong if you like this wrestler. They're going to say it about another wrestler shortly, and let's be honest, we're going to have a bit more fun with that. Um, <laughs> but is it really WWE telling you you're wrong for liking NXT? It feels like extending to the... It's John Laurinaitis telling Vince McMahon he's wrong for liking his son-in-law's TV show. Ultimately, you feel like you can extend this to everybody at this point. Um, I a mess, but I'd feel a hypocrite. I don't want to say too much more because I want to be a bit more of a cynical prick about something similar later on in the show. This was more cynical, though. Mm, yeah, it was doing something like you say, Sage, that they already established at Money in the Bank in, a, in the most <clears throat> way possible because immediately after the victory, Goldberg's music hits. He walks out, he gets a huge reaction. They're chanting his name. They're doing all this stuff. He's doing the smoke and the explosions, et cetera, et cetera. And he walks down to the ring, laughs in Lashley's face and announces, I'm next. They, they 
it leave as MVP holds back Lashley from, from doing anything you might regret. And in the back, uh, MVP says Goldberg disrespected the champion and they didn't even plan on responding. Goldberg is doing his second contractually obligated match of 2021, Michael Hamlet. Yeah, good. I'm into it. Stop receiving WWE as this really clever and far-reaching, like, dramatic product and just see it for the content factory it is. I want to see a 54-year-old man get splattered on the canvas with the Dominator like Kofi Kingston wasn't money in the bank. And moreover, like, I, I love how gotten to people are about Goldberg it's because it, it's mainly the Fiend fans, isn't it? Like, they, they remember Saudi Arabia and they remember what happened to their favourite clown. Um, but Goldberg made Drew McIntyre feel bigger as a result of their match at the Royal Rumble. And I have no doubt that, like, genuinely, I, like, I think, like, they got way more out of Goldberg than like any of us would have imagined over the course of that match. Mm. Drew felt like a bigger deal as a result of beating him, as I think Lashley will here. The monsters, the giant frigging men, and Lashley's going to chuck him around. What's not to like about it? Cheer up, you miserable bastards. Braille, get repackaged again. It'll be fine. This is what WWE does now. And if you don't like it, stop watching WWE. It could <laughs> not be more stark at this point. That's all I've got to say. What I mean, he's got a good reaction. I'm into it for like three minutes. This is the last. I'll give him one more try. I'll go with one more try because he's kind of sucked since 2017. <laughs> um, the Drew match was, you can't even do two. You can't even do like foul moves anymore. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I'll give him two more minutes of my life. I really enjoyed what came next. It was uh, Jinder Mahal. He announced it was his birthday. Uh, happy belated birthday, Jinder. Uh, but the big, biggest present he received was the fact that Drew McIntyre was not Mr. Money in the Bank. He recapped everything that had led to all this with the sword and the bike and the money in the bank and stuff. Uh, and he said oh, he's happy. Look, as long as Lashley's champion, McIntyre won't be getting a title match. Shanky has handed the microphone so he could butcher happy birthday to the Maharaja. Drew McIntyre gets in the ring and we think, oh yeah, we all know where this is going. And he hits Mahal and he hits Veer with a chair and Veer and Mahal get out of Dodge and Shanky's in there and he's begging off. McIntyre goes sodding mental. He hits him with a chair about 10 times, so much so that he breaks the chair, he hoys out of the ring and the fans go, oh, I guess that's that then. He goes, no, actually, you're chanting one more time. How about 20 more? He absolutely destroyed Shanky with this chair and he got a huge reaction. I, I, I realise this may be just a one-night thing, uh, Hampler, but for a guy that everyone was a bit like, uh, money in the bank, this made everyone think, great, yeah, all he has to do every single week is hit someone 30-odd chimes with a chair, basically. Yeah, this was absurd, and yet you can't really hate their attempt to rectify what was very clearly an obvious problem on Sunday, which was that Drew was getting the Roman Reigns response the second he appeared on camera. Um, so they just had him WrestleMania 17 shanky, for fuck's sake, what am I even saying? I'd even forgotten in the little recap that they give you, like, maybe these uh, exposition dumps are good, because I'd forgotten that, like, there was a, like, Father Ted fake arms reveal. Wait a minute, that's a fake sword! I'd already <laughs> forgotten that plot detail, that's so good, thanks for that. I, um, they tried this trick with, um... Seth Rollins in 2019 when he was getting the dreaded mixed reactions. Remember when he Eric <laughs> <Cole> was <laughs> like, <laughs> the impulsive thing is, uh, he's Austin now. 
Like, Austin. Eric Young was like, I'll be your pal. And Seth's like, yeah, thanks. And then smashed him about a hundred times with a chair. And uh, that was it. He was like, oh, it's fine. We fixed it. It's no worries. No, he's not going to, he's not going to only be able to sell three sides of a building against Baron Corbin. Um, I, so they fixed it this week. Like just, I don't know, pray for Veer, I guess. That's the, yeah, it's, not, it's not Goldberg who's next, it's him. I mean, like every bloody week, there's some awful discourse or other, and sometimes it's in good faith. Like, people like worried about Darby Allen. It's like, can you imagine if Vince got his hands on Darby Allen? Like, can you imagine what he would do to him? The thought is terrifying because some of the stuff this company does, like, to its talent, it's like, look at the backs. If I haven't seen a back like that in AEW, like, I'm not sure I have. An absolute woeful state of affairs. Welcome to the business, kid. It's because he's got balls. So, <laughs> like the most harshest and like initiation ceremonies. Like, what an absolutely woeful inept organization. And I can't wait to get further into the show. I'm going to be absolutely like spent by the main event. I'm going to have like two sentences on it. Because what's coming soon is uh, a joy to me. Now a quick diversion from our Monday Night Raw review to the Twitter account. Photos taken seconds before disaster. As we saw the Carrying Cross video, Doomsday is coming. Cross, <laughs> Cross makes his entrance. He's got his NXT title belt. There is no Scarlet though, and it's it's a very much watered down version of his NXT. There's no announce. There's no nothing. It's that main event feed leak on Raw in front of fans. Trust me, lads, I'm just going to say what happened and I'll pass the ball to you because I've sensed that you've been waiting all day for this. So Hardy uh, enters with his uh, No More Words theme song. That's getting a huge buzz on Twitter as well as what happened in this match. (laughs) (laughs) No, we all could, Jeff. We all could. So uh, Cross... You know, it looks like it's going to be a squash initially. He's suplexing uh, Hardy all over the place, as we've seen him do on many a time in NXT. Uh, Hardy catches him with a twist of fate. Looks like, oh my God, could he could he steal one here in, in WWE's terminology? Goes up top, but oh, of course, Hardy Smith misses this one, Tom. We all know what's coming. He's, he's, he's waving his arm around. He's setting up for that hidden blade. And then Hardy stacks him up, puts his feet on the ropes and pins him in one minute and 42 seconds. <laughs> Cross is furious. He, he gets chatted to by uh, a very brave Kevin Patrick, who uh, says Hardy just made the biggest mistake of his life. Everyone in the end will fall and pray. Michael Sidgwick, the floor is yours. Like, this is an absolute symphony of Schadenfreude. Like, not only have you got the fact that there are no more words to describe how this bad this product is. <laughs> and then you've got Jeff Hardy's entrance theme literally blaring those exact three words out to you. You've got the absolute funniest gimmick of all time and the most fate-inviting gimmick of all time to get buried was buried in, no less, the most spectacular fashion I've possibly ever seen. Fall and pray. Well, you're going to have to. The end is near. Well, it is now. Like, it's a guy who gives you tarot cards to foretell your doom. It's like he's got a TikTok 
he's like inevitable, like you are inevitable. It's like, yes, you are. You absolutely it's, it's like the greatest long-term wrestling story ever told. <laughs> After all, like I'm literally trying to think of something about this entire end-to-end presentation that they could have legitimately got more. Like his muted entrance theme, his dark aesthetic that's got like spooky, like acolyte people online who like it. Gone. Gone. <laughs> so the hot board, the dark, ominous, oppressive presentation, the smoke machines, there is none of it. The one thing you can count on WWE to do, gone. This has to be a, we've worked you out, son, you can't do this. We'll get Jeff Hardy Nostalgia Act over at your rubbish expense. This has to be some kind of Laurinaitis Pritchard trying to oust Triple H power play. It has to be. The only, the only explanation behind this is pure sabotage or cynicism because they can't possibly be this incompetent because they've had vaguely competent presentation put in front of them and decided, ah, let's get rid of that. It needs to be more generic. It's like your Vince. I don't, it just loves to tinker, doesn't he? I mean, I'll make this. I'll got this is this and this guy's got um, all the gear and no idea. I'll tell you what I'll take away his gear. How do you like that? <laughs> so he's got no gear, no idea, and he loses in two minutes. He's killed everyone at NXT. He's killed four people at once. He's literally killing three people at once. Legado del Fantasma. Oh yeah. Adam Cole, Johnny Gargano, Pete Dunne, Finn Balor, all of them. Deed, 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 deed in the ground. He gets beat by Jeff Hardy, who's been getting beat by Jinder on main event. He's been banished to main event. Like It's one thing of it's like, well, we're just going to wait for no more words to come back and then we'll get you back on Raw. Pointless. <laughs> P- putting you on telly and just 50-50 in here. So instead, of, you'll just lose to boom, 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 boom. Jeff Hardy. The reason why he's got no more words is because he's a beloved baby face. Who the crowd, the live crowds have always loved. Has he ever played heel in WWE, Jeff Hardy? Apart from these odd attitude era sort of three no, weekers. Never. never. Mm. Only very briefly in TNA. He was just too over, too beloved. They've actually got <clears throat> Alt Rockin' Ricker Steamboat. <laughs> <laughs> and he puts his foot on the ropes. Oh, there's not a layer of this. There's not a layer of this that isn't so incompetent that Vince McMahon should be sectioned immediately. I am a so dragon, but my fire is not literal. <laughs> I'm sorry, I had so much fun doing that. I've not been able to concentrate all day because I've been looking forward to burying it like that. I did a tweet about it earlier, and like a half an hour later, I'm thinking, ah, it's not good enough. And I'm so happy. <laughs> I'm so happy. It's nothing personal, like. It's just really funny. Karrion Cross walks backstage into a gorilla, and the first thing he gets is Vince stands up and does say, where the hell have you been? Because it should have been a minute. <laughs> <laughs> 
I think it's fitting that we had the return of the second most requested classic WWE theme because you can say goodbye to your favourite guy. Because <laughs> Karrion Cross is finished, brother. And what's he going to do? We're going to preview NXT later on. He's going to walk into the CWC and Samoa Joe, who he choked out last week, is going to be like, well, I'm not fighting you at TakeOver. You're a bitch. Like, that's the end of that. <laughs> <laughs> that's done. Kill that. And because I really can't add too much more to Cedric's brilliant assessment of all of that. Yesterday, yesterday was Karrion Cross's birthday. <laughs> no, it was his birthday, and the reason why people know this is because the most beautiful juxtaposition you've ever seen of your entire life is a black and white picture of Karrion Cross, arms folded, super intense with the Twitter balloons and neon balloons. <laughs> 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 I told you, man. I've seen, oh. I've seen classic episodes, seasons three to season eight of The Simpsons. I haven't copied as much as this. The balloons in front of his face. Oh, oh poor bastard. He's meant to be foretelling my demise. <laughs> I'm meant to be scared of him. Somebody uh, got him some props from Tarot Card Factory. <laughs> I, I, I don't genuinely don't know how to follow it. All, all I thought of when I was watching this, I don't know why oh. it popped into my head. Uh, there's a really old episode of The Apprentice in the UK and, and what they do in The Apprentice in the first episode is they divvy them up, usually the men and the women, and they go, just think of a name, and they give it like the generic, you know, Imperium or, you know, just any old name for a, for a thing. Men win. Let's call ourselves the winners. Yeah, they lost the first task. Uh, so that's the only <laughs> I can really make to all this. Oh, I, I, I want to add as well, just like while we're piling on, I wanted to fact check that birthday thing. So I went to his Wikipedia page um, and brilliantly, I found out who Killer Cross, uh, Karen Cross's trainer was. And the man that has despised AW since day one because Cody ethered him with no possible recovery on Twitter, who has been a bad faith actor about AEW ever since. I now eagerly await Disco Inferno to come out and praise the debut of Karrion Cross, oh. one of his prized trainees, to say, yeah, great night. Better than he would have got on uh, Wednesdays, if you ask me. Oh. So, can't wait. Can't wait. Put that over, Disco. And I know you're listening because you can hate us too. You know, I think it, I, often when I watch Raw, you know, I do like the, the five bullet points when we when we talk about this show and, and on the podcast thing. And I was like, right, okay, we got we got all the Dave, we got the you got the the returns, you got Cena, you got some matches, and I'm always looking for that last line of like, like that, and then this happened. I went, jobs are good today, lads. Got a nice easy day at work, brother. Carrying cross debuts and losers. Brilliant stuff. Uh, how do you follow that? I'll tell you what, how. Oh, by the way, uh, rewatched a bit of Money in the Bank with the Misses last night. And uh, yeah, caught that glimpse of that guy who thought it was a good idea to make a sign that says, Alexa, take me to your playground. I do hope the authorities have been uh, updated on <laughs> whereabouts because we went to Alexa's playground and 
I know what you're thinking. It's probably been bugging people for the entirety of this podcast because at the start of this, I said three huge returns on last night's show. John Cena doesn't count because he returned at Money in the Bank. And yes, we've had we've had Goldberg, obviously. That's a massive return. We've had Keith Lee. But, but Adam, you're asking, who, who on earth is that third huge return? Well, is back on our screens, ladies and gentlemen. She was there on the swing set with Alexa, who's talking some bollocks about having a back and not being time out when Eva Marie and a doodrap drop by. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but it's just completely no sells, even Marie going, uh, how dare you, you know, sort of ignore me or what have you. Like, even Marie cuts the whole promo, tosses her hair, and says, oh, I'm the best thing about the women's division. <laughs> Finishes the promo, and Lexi goes, Hello, how long have you been there? Basically, all only cares about dude rap, uh, despite the fact that she kicks her head in and threw her over a barricade before Alexa Bliss disappeared, of course, last week. Uh, but she warns them not to say anything bad about Lily. And even Marie says something like, oh, what? Like, I'm going to get dude rap to put her in the garbage or whatever. I I've, I've gave up making notes, I'll be honest, at that point. So uh, Bliss is saying, oh, well, well, let's see what you, you can do without any help or whatever. And even Marie's like, oh, let's get out of this weird, creepy, nasty playground. And then just trips over nothing. <laughs> Anything you want to say about this, Sitch? <laughs> like, no. <laughs> She's so bad at bumping, and yet you can't, like, can you follow it? Right, we'll sell it, sell it as if nothing's touched you. Like, you can't. <laughs> I don't know what to about this, man. I'm, I told you, but I'm done. Absolutely busted. Bruce and Big Johnny and I have Vince these trainees at NXT they're still tripping over their own feet write that down <laughs> write that down yeah let's let's rapidly move on because this was just awful nothing if that makes any sense main event time though it's the uh, Raw Women's Championship on the line Charlotte Flair defending against Rhea Ripley uh, story of this match is Ripley is doing very well. Looks like she's in control, but of course, Charlotte sees her opportunity and chop blocks Ripley. Targets targets the leg, targets the knee. Uh, Ripley's fighting back on one leg. She's hitting a, a back suplex. She uh, even hits a Northern Lights suplex, still selling her leg for a two count. Charlotte fights back, hits a big boot, goes for a moonsault. Ripley gets her knees up. Ripley decides to put a figure four on. And I immediately thought, well, that's dumb, because if Charlotte reverses the pressure, you're going to be, oh, yeah, there she has. She's flipped it over. Uh, Ripley has to make it to the ropes. But she uh, eventually comes back, hits a thrust kick, nails a riptide. Charlotte gets her foot on the ropes and then basically decides, yeah, bollocks this, I'm off. She walks away. Rhea Ripley goes after her and Charlotte turns around, clonks her with the title. Rhea Ripley wins the match. Charlotte retains the title. And I look at the clock and think, well, there's still two minutes. There's still something that could happen here. Ripley is furious, obviously, with the result of that match. She attacks Charlotte. She hits her with a riptide on the outside. And then Nikki A.S.H.'s music hits. She sprints down, just as all good superheroes do, to pick the bones. Uh, she cashes in her money in the bank contract, goes up top, flying crossbody on Charlotte. One two, three, huge bap. Nikki A.S.H. is your new Raw Women's Champion. And we close the show with her lifting up the title in the crowd. Fair to say, Amphlet, we didn't see this one coming. No, um, 
pathetic end to the Charlotte Flair Rhea Ripley match aside. I quite enjoyed most of this. Ripley and Charlotte have absolutely figured out how to have good matches together, helped, of course, by the crowd. Um, wouldn't have got on over in the Thunderdome, but like it was perfectly watchable until a miserable finish. And I quite liked this cash-in, you know. Um, we did podcasts, I did lists, where I was, adv- I was advocating an early cash-in to capitalise on the crowds at their most excited. I appreciate that might sound a bit counterproductive because it's like, hang on, isn't that a free pop when the crowds are going quiet again? But I think this sort of noise and this kind of momentum is going to shift tickets for WWE. It's the sort of stuff that makes the programme look must-watch when Christ listened to half the stuff we talked about. It couldn't feel any less relevant. And yet you did put something like this as like the lasting memory, the big takeaway from the show. And it's going to say to people... Like, you need to get in here. We're, make, we're making effort again. We're trying. Like, come and see us in the six months where we might try. And that's what I thought this captured. Um, why not would be my take on Nikki Ash, Nikki A-S-H. Why not? Um, this character has a little bit of steam. They like her enough to have put in the briefcase on her in the first place. Got a good response. People <clears throat> weren't, uh, you know, she won the title and people weren't cheering for Becky Lynch one of the biggest stars in the industry, as they were during the start of the, This wasn't like a disappointing surprise for the audience. So I kind of, I, I, I have no real problems with this. It, I don't think she's going to elevate, like she's not going to sort of be elevated as a result of this. The title now feels lower status than it did. The problem comes is that like, I still foresee Charlotte versus Becky Lynch. That's now bigger than the Raw Women's title match. This hasn't magically elevated Nikki Cross into being a main eventer with the belt. Um but I thought it was quite a nice moment and WWE would do well to do as many of these as they can before the novelty of all of this wears off. I've got no thoughts. Like, honestly, I'm done. I'm busted. Um, very few thoughts. I couldn't invest in the match. It's not, it's shocking, like, because the, the grafted for what it was, obviously it's not as good as yesterday's. Um, but I saw the time remaining and I thought, angle alert, angle alert, angle alert. We got the angle. It's not the angle that anyone wanted, but as Anfield points out, it wasn't rejected on that basis. So I just feel like title switch pops. It was a title switch pop purely because it was something momentous, which I guess he can say means WWE haven't quite killed all of the aura surrounding their titles. So there is that. Like, bit of a knob, didn't you? Nikki A-S-H. Like... Very crafty winning, celebrating victories prior to Money in the Bank. That weren't really victories. Like, cashing in as a babyface is always such a tosser move. Such a warped value Vince McMahon move. Uh, so I reckon the knives will come out. And it's a shame. I happen to know that Nikki Cross is legitimately one of the hardest working people involved in that entire industry. Um, like, she's been put over by loads of people. Um so I'm really, I truly am happy for her. I'm not a huge fan of hers on an emotional level. I think she's good. But I, I feel bad because I suspect the way that character's been booked, how that character is, the knives are going to come out quite cruelly when the novelty of being in the arena wears off. So I love the fact that the history of the Women's Money in the Bank briefcase is Carmella holds briefcase for 287 days, longest time to hold that briefcase for and cash in. The combined four other cash-ins, if you count Askers as a cash-in on Monday Night Raw with Becky Lynch just giving her the title, basically. 
two days, four hours and 17 minutes. That's it. That's the entire <laughs> time that briefcase has been held by anyone. We had uh, Alexa Bliss obviously cashing in at Money in the Bank, as did Bailey. Uh, and then you've got Asuka and Nikki cashing in effectively. I'm counting Asuka's as a cash in again the, the next night. So, yeah, uh, an interesting history with that briefcase. And like you say, uh, um, an in, a surreal move, uh, Sige, because, yeah, it's... It's, she's almost a superhero, apart from her morals, I suppose. And, yeah. And well, no, now that she's a hero, more like supervillain. <laughs> <laughs> like, now that she's won the belt, is the almost not a bit superfluous? Can she not just become Nikki Sh? Like, she's, she's won the title. She's a superhero. So just go with Nikki Sh. Nikki Sh. Nikki Sh. Nikki Sh. Who wants to play with Nikki Sh? <laughs> just think big quiche. I was thinking about like Yokozuna would call Fatu. What up? Who's big quiche? <laughs> oh, I, need, I need my dinner now. Yeah, this is me. The <laughs> what are you having? Quiche. Left of a pay on. Very nice for the summer. Either all of you, my thanks to the Dadley boys. Uh, let us know your thoughts on Twitter at what culture WWE watch they can follow through as you can follow Michael Hamflet at Michael Hamflet, Michael Sidgwick, and see a picture of Paella at and Sidgwick. Follow me at Adam Wilbur. Follow us all at What Culture WWE. Make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling wherever you get your podcast from for daily wrestling podcasts. I don't think I've ever looked forward to an NXT preview more than today. We've got that later on today <laughs> to look forward to. Uh, and watch it there, subscribing to What Culture Dressing on iTunes. Leave us a five-star review, just like Hearty3169 did. Uh, suggest something short, crap, wrestling related for us to review instead of a god-awful Raw segment. But this has been the Raw Review. It's back and weirder than ever. Uh, my thanks to the Dadley Boys. Thank you for joining us. And we will see you soon. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 